This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Numbers, numbers, numbers. In a pandemic, you're always wondering about numbers. What is the rate of transmission? How many cases today? How many cases locally? How are we doing? Are we seeing downward trends? Those are not the only numbers that we need to be concerned with. The interest rate, holding where it was yesterday, that's a thing. Inflation, what are we expecting coming up? How about real estate? If you own a home, what's it worth? If you don't own a home, is it ever going to be easier to do that, to get into the market? Well, there is someone that we know who can cover off all those things and more. And it's our good friend, Dr. Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. And we had a conversation with Dr. Ryder and talked about receiving information about interest rates and inflation yesterday. And we began with interest rates, that the banks of Canada held them at a quarter of a percent. Here is what Dr. Ryder says we should read from from that. Well, the Bank of Canada came out actually late in 2020 and said to us that as long as we were in the process of passing out those viruses, or excuse me, those vaccines, oh, those vaccines, they would keep the interest rates low. That means that we're going to see these, these tremendously low interest rates for all of 2021 and even probably halfway through 2022. Um, for us to get the whole population vaccinated, we need to up the rate of vaccinations to at least 100,000 people a day. And we're not there yet. We don't have the supply of those issues. Now, this has caused a problem. And the problem is that with this really cheap supply of money, we've seen the housing market get really hot, uh, especially people in big urban centers like Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver have suddenly discovered smaller cities. They're moving in with cheap money and driving up the price of housing. We expect housing prices to go up 8 9 10% this year. 8 9 10%. And we always wonder about the real estate market. Mark Twain's line, buy real estate, they're not making any more of it. We always think that there has to be a ceiling. We've never seen one when we look at interest rates and, and things like real estate. Is, is there a way to read into it? Is this sustainable? Or do we just look at history and say, well, it hasn't been unsustainable so far? Yeah. Well, I have two answers for you. You know, clearly we were beginning to get worried about real estate five or six years ago, and so far there's been no sign of a cool down. Uh, again, unique circumstances here in a pandemic. Having said that, I'm speaking to you in London, Ontario, but in Toronto it's a little different story. The downtown Toronto condo market is getting very soft. We're actually seeing prices going in the wrong direction. They're going down. And it's simply because people have discovered in these big urban centers that if I was prepared to spend, I don't know, $800,000 for what I like to call a box of air, I can go to a, a more suburban community and get myself a detached home with some grass around it. Hmm, what are they doing? So we're seeing people flock out of the Toronto areas, getting paid Toronto salaries, but taking advantage of the low prices around them. That won't last forever, and I think a year or so from now, Price of money goes up, cost of money goes up, and we'll also see the migration ending. We're going to get to a more stable period, but it'll probably be a good year from now. We are talking with Dr. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, and we're looking at a few things that deal with our money and how it may have to operate long term. We know that the pandemic has been very costly for every country. Canada is no exception. If we look at the cost of money going up, in other words, if we look at those interest rates eventually rising, 
is there a way to forecast how much they might rise and how fast? Yeah, well, I think there again, I can give you some great news, and that is they are not going to go up quickly. Uh, We've been dealt a major blow. I describe COVID almost like a hurricane, uh, how broad and wide its impact has been. Now, historically, a mortgage in Canada is around 5%. Today, you can get a mortgage in the high 2% range, low 3% range. Um, and and that uh, uh, is well below normal. When they do start to raise interest rates, they'll do it a quarter point at a time. They'll separate those increases by at least eight weeks, and then during that eight-week period, they're going to monitor to see what impact it has. So I, I think perhaps by the end of 2022, the rate that the Bank of Canada charges might be might be at half a percent, three quarters of a percent, which still means mortgages well in the the mid three percent range, uh, which is still well below normal. So don't expect it suddenly going to jump up two percent or four percent. It'll go up very slowly, quarter point at a time, at a rate that you and I can adjust and absorb pretty quickly. We saw interest rates rise in a massive way, late 70s, very early 80s. And there are a lot of people who remember those days and a lot of people who don't want to see days like that again. Are there any protections in place to avoid an 18% rate? Or I I forget how did it get up into, I think it got up into the 20s at one point, didn't it? Yeah, in, in 1982, 83, you could get a one-year mortgage at 21%, and that wasn't from your friendly neighborhood loan shop. That was from one of our <laughs> major banks here in Canada. We, we're not expecting any of that to happen. Now, part of that, and it goes back to the housing market, is that not just anybody can take advantage of this money. So um, the government does have... Uh, Uh, protocols in place to make sure that people are not taking on too much debt. There's all what they call stress testing. What happens if your income goes down by a certain amount? Can you still carry this? We haven't seen a lot of foreclosures. And that tells me that, again, the, 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 the banking system is strong as we go forward. So there's no reason to think that. Now, here's the other side of that coin. While the interest rate shot up to 21%, we were also facing double-digit inflation in Canada, and that's not the situation at the moment. We just got the data for December yesterday, uh, and there they said that the inflation rate in December was around 0.7%, 0.7%. Now, there are two or three different of these rates they calculate. The most aggressive of these said inflation in December was 1.4%, but that's well within the Bank of Canada tolerance. Bank of Canada wants to see inflation not exceed 2%. No sign that we're anywhere near that threshold. But if they do, that's when they start to raise the interest rate. So this is, again, that delicate balancing act. We want to keep the money supply moving. We want to keep people uh, solvent through all of this. But if we begin to see signs of inflation starting to take off, too much stimulus, if you will, then they'll slow it down. But we don't expect any of that in this calendar year. We're talking with Dr. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, looking at things like inflation and interest rates and lending rates and how that affects all of us. When you say they're going to look at factors, we talked earlier this week about debt and the debt that Canadians have taken on. And there are a lot of signs that a lot of debt has been taken on, sometimes just because it has had to and you worry about household debt or personal debt, is that something that we're going to see the the people who control the Bank of Canada and the interest rate and take very close looks at inflation, is that something they look at at all? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely they will. Now, here's our problem in Canada, if you will. The impacts of COVID-19 have not been spread evenly throughout the, the population. So we do know that there is a chunk of the population who saw their cost of living go down. Again, let's suppose you were working in downtown Toronto and you were commuting. Now suddenly you're not commuting, so you're not spending the money on go passes or via rail passes. You're not grabbing as much food on the fly. Um, And so you've saved some money. And what we've seen some households be able to do is translate that personal savings to either paying down debt or increasing retirement savings. Unfortunately, there are other people, and those are primarily in things like the hospitality industry, who worked in restaurants and bars and hotels, even in travel and tourism. That industry has been disproportionately hit. We've had virtually none of that going on now for almost a year. And to survive, some of those people have taken on debt. So we've got this mixed message, and that's where the Bank of Canada is trying to see where is most of the population going. And for that matter, this is when they'd even give advice to the prime minister that says that's an area where you need a little more support to help those people get through. Um, But I can tell you the other thing that we're watching, obviously, is unemployment. A year ago at this time, unemployment in Canada, 5.5%. In the the worst of the pandemic, this would have been, say, May, we got up to 13.5%. We're down now to 8.5%. That isn't likely going to go down any for January or February because, again, of the provincial lockdown and state of emergency, uh, not just here in Ontario, but in Quebec and other places. But we still think as this year goes by, that number is going to continue to trade down. And you can tie that all again to how the fast the vaccinations get out there the sooner we can get herd immunity as they like to say the sooner we can start doing all the things that are enjoyable in life not just the necessary things and there we go putting money back into the economy and that's kind of how the engine works isn't it right exactly but we're not there yet and so uh, I think the, the, we're going to see budgets both in Ontario and, and uh, federally probably in about eight weeks' time. What kind of supports are they planning going forward? The federal Liberals are already on record saying that uh, they're not going to repeat the big deficit of last year, $380 billion, but they still expect a deficit of $110 billion because they think there's still supports that are going to be needed through 2021. And again, it's this funny balancing act. But in balance, I'll tell you, Mike, our economy has shown tremendous resilience. We really threw a gigantic rock into that economic pond. And yes, there were waves and yes, there were ripples, but we've come back. And if you take a look at the Canadian dollar, it's flirting with 79 cents US. The Canadian stock market hit a record high after having a terrible plunge last March. We've seen oil prices come up to around $53, $54 a barrel. At one point last year, you couldn't give oil away. Everything's going in the right direction. So this is the year 2021 the year of recovery, maybe the year of resilience. Dr. Ryder, it is always great to hear words like that. Thank you for providing them. Thank you for providing the understanding of everything that is happening as well. Keep safe and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Anytime. That is Dr. Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, so still expecting real estate to rise and not expecting interest rates to rise very quickly, and inflation is in check at the moment. So there's our checkup on those numbers. Let's turn to sports for a moment. What do you think? Because 
How many times do Jays fans say, oh, I thought they said we were in on that free agent, and then we didn't even get him, and then you'll hear them say, oh, you know, it would just be like the old Montreal Expos, just growing players and letting them walk to other teams, never be competitive again, and then this week happened. And then the signing of George Springer, pending a physical, happened. Joining us right now is Sportsnet columnist Shai Davidi. Shai you follow this team so closely. Give us your thoughts on when you found that the signing of George Springer and his big clutch bat had actually taken place pending that physical. Well, it was certainly a long time coming for the Blue Jays and something that they'd worked very hard on throughout the, the offseason. And, uh, you know, you thought, or at least I thought, that, you know, the, the pathway was there for them to sign him, especially after the Mets acquired Francisco Lindor. Uh, it was going to be tougher for the Mets to meet some of his financial demands. And, you know, for the Blue Jays, this was uh, the, the player that they had wanted uh, most throughout the offseason, made a lot of efforts to try and get. And I think ultimately uh, they were able to play out that process and, and be there as the last team standing. So uh, from, uh, you know, immediate standpoint, uh, obviously it makes the team much better, uh, gets them one of the best players in the game. Uh, but from uh, you know from the view from 10,000 feet, I mean this is a historically significant moment uh, for the franchise and the type of contract that that marks a definitive turn in the way that they've operated uh, into one that's going to be a bit more aggressive to augment the, the core that's in place. Six years, 150 million dollars. It's 25 million a year. They have other players who are young and seem to be set for stardom if they aren't there already, and they may be commanding numbers like this. What does this say to you about the Jays' window, Shy? Well, I mean, very clearly they're in that window now, and you know, I've looked back uh, a fair bit and written this a number of times this offseason that. You know, you, you think about the, the group of young players that the Blue Jays had at the uh, turn of the century, late 90s into the early 2000s. You had Carlos Delgado and Shannon Stewart and Sean Green and Alex Gonzalez and Roy Halladay and Chris Carpenter and Kelvin Escobar. I mean, it's just an, an incredible group of players that you developed from, from within. And they were never able to sufficiently augment that and, and leverage that group again into the playoffs. And, and to not do that right now with uh, the group that they have in place, uh, I mean, that would have been, uh, you know, a real missed opportunity for the franchise. So uh, that's why a signing like Springer is so very important because, you know, they have one of those rare opportunities where they have a big group of young talent led by uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got the real, you've got the real group of, of players where you can, do something special, but you have to be able to add externally to that uh, to push it over the top. And, uh, you know, this was uh, the type of move that they needed to make, not just sort of, uh, you know, rearranging deck chairs around the edges, but, you know, substantially, substantially bringing in major new pieces of furniture. Shai Davidi joining us, Sportsnet baseball columnist. Let's get to know George Springer a little bit for anybody who knows, hey, the guy played for Houston. I think I've heard his name before, but I'm not too sure exactly what he means. What does George Springer bring? Uh, sort of everything. Uh, 31 years old, uh, center fielder right now, probably will end up in a corner outfield spot the next few years. Uh, but a uh, very dynamic hitter. Uh, tenacious, uh, tenacious player, uh, high, 
high motor, um, really a lot of energy, uh, plays with a lot of excitement, throws himself, uh, really throws his, his body and, and, and his, uh, his entire effort and in being into the game, into the sport. Uh, he can hit for some power, uh, hits uh, for a decent average, um, will we'll, we'll have patience, have good quality at bats, uh, can be productive in a number of different ways, good athlete. So uh, he's, in a sense, uh, a bit of everything that you want uh, in a baseball player, uh, and he's got a, a very long and proven track record of success, uh, not only during the regular season but in the playoffs as well. So uh, the Blue Jays will be counting on him uh, in a number of different ways, obviously for his production on the plate, but also to be a bit of a guiding force and, uh, and a strong presence uh, to, help, uh, to help sort of lead the way with their younger group of players. Shaw, you have mentioned the rotation, and you have mentioned it, that it, it needs uh, maybe a, a little bit of a boost still. We did hear about pending physical deals, Kirby Yates, Tyler Chatwood. What do those mean for the Blue Jays? Well, I mean, uh, the the Kirby Yates deal has been completed, so he's, uh, he's officially with the team. Chatwood should be done uh, in the coming days as well. Uh, but with... Um, what they do is they provide some more depth for the bullpen. And, you know, the Blue Jays do want to still augment their starting rotation. You know, if they're going to, they, they need somebody who they can, who can win them a playoff game and, uh, you know, really support uh, Hyunjin Ryu, who is by far the, their top pitcher right now. Uh, but, you know, with, uh, with a little bit more depth there, then they're going to be all the more dangerous once the season starts. Uh, but if they aren't able to do that or if they have to go down the food chain a little bit for another starter, then the better a bullpen they have, the more options that they uh, can create to shorten games and just make it tougher late in the game and rely on the offense to, to do some of the heavy lifting. So uh, I think that that's a, a one approach that they're, they're following and they're tracking, and uh, we'll see, we'll see where, where the opportunities lie for them in that regard. Sportsnet baseball columnist Shai Davidi with us on London Live. Shai, earlier this week when the George Springer deal seemed to become official, all of a sudden the name Michael Brantley was there, and it was, whoa, what a day this is for the Blue Jays. Now that was quickly tempered a little bit based on what was being reported by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, but what do you make of the Brantley situation, and, and has it changed at all since what was, hey, he's here, hey, he's maybe not? Well, he's reached agreement with uh, the Houston Astros to return there, so he's not going to be there. And you know, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what happened. I, I, obviously, there are some people who uh, believe there was a deal there, and then there wasn't. And I'm not sure how that got lost in translation. Uh, but you know, he would have been uh, like from an offensive profile. He made a ton of sense for the Blue Jays. He brings a lot of elements in the batter's box that they need. But he was a really awkward fit on the roster because there was no real place to play him or he would have displaced other people uh, and just made the roster less flexible. So, um, you know, I, I think that it would have been difficult for him uh, to end up on, uh, like, uh, or it would have led to some other moves or forced some other moves. It, it's not, it was a bit of a complicated, awkward fit. Um, but, you know, that talent, that skill set, uh, that he has is is the sort of thing that this lineup could really benefit from. As a final question, you pointed in a column earlier that the Jays are keeping an eye on the L.A. Dodgers or that you could look at them as being, hey, look how they've built their team. 
is that the blueprint that this team wants to follow and, and ultimately hopefully end up just like the Dodgers did last year? Well, I think everybody wants to end up just like the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the model franchise, not just because they won the World Series, but in the way that they operate on a year-to-year basis and really maximize every aspect of the operation from from big name signings like Mookie Betts to uh, to you know really sort of the the just typical waiver type moves where they try to seek out and find efficiencies in every aspect of their roster. Uh, you know, there's still a wide wide gap between the Blue Jays and the Dodgers in in a number of different ways, uh, but I think that's the the type of team that they'd like to be like and that they model themselves after, um, but. Yeah, you know, that that's that's still a big gulf, um, and and not just for the Blue Jays and the Dodgers, but for the Dodgers and the rest of baseball. One more question has just come in. Matt says, "Can you please ask Shy whether he knows if the Jays are going to start in Dunedin or if they're going to start in Buffalo this year, and whether that's been talked about anymore?" Well, I mean, nothing is settled definitively yet, and the Blue Jays are still hopeful that they can find a way to open the season in Toronto, although that's given the situation that we're all in right now, uh, very, very, very unlikely. Uh, the, the, li- the likely scenario is that they open the season in Dunedin. You know, the Blue Jays invested $600,000 over and above the previous renovation there uh, to bring it up to major league standards last year. Uh, obviously they weren't, they decided not to use that because of the, the way that the coronavirus uh, was spreading in Florida at the time. Uh, you know, Buffalo, in all likelihood, is going to be in use by the AAA team. Um, you know, baseball is hoping to have a AAA season start not long after the major league season. Uh, so Buffalo would be unavailable. Uh, and I think that's run its course a little bit. So my guess is that they're, they're going to try to stay in Dunedin uh, for as long as they can and then get back to Toronto as soon as health officials here give them the okay. Shai, thanks so much for the update on everything today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. That's Shai Davidi, Sportsnet baseball columnist. So, George Springer, six years, $150 million. That's big bucks to spend. That was always the question. How far would a team like Toronto spend? Some ownership groups will say, yeah, go ahead. I, I want a championship. I want a competitive team year after year. Others will put a little bit of a cap on it. And in this case, that's a big signing. And that's one that Blue Jay fans will be happy about now Sure, the question is the rotation, and sure, the question is pitching. They're starting to have a lineup that you can say, okay, from this hitter way down to this hitter, yeah, I don't want to mess with that lineup. Can we, oh, this guy's, oh, this guy, oh, no, this guy. That's what you want to have in baseball. The Yankees tend to take that approach. The Dodgers, sure, yes, took that approach. And it tends to work out very well for teams like the Yankees and certainly the Dodgers of late. And we'll see if Toronto can take advantage of their window because their biggest concern will be the young players, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette and the fact that soon they're going to come to the end of deals and you're going to have to find a way to negotiate new ones with them without those costing you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So might be a fun time to be a Blue Jay fan simply because they're going to find a way to really go for it. And as strange as it might seem, you know, wasn't it only just a few years ago that they went for it? Yeah, well, they got into the playoffs. They didn't get as far as they wanted. Maybe this time around they get a little further. 
That is Tebe, and our next guest is that man. Tebe joins us on London Live. If we go back a year ago, Tebe, and thanks for being here, basically a, a year ago right now, you were in the U.K., you were playing that song and others to crowds, you were having a great old time, and now we're all in a pretty different spot. How are things going for you now? Oh, you know, I think I'm no different than anyone else. It's just been a crazy uh, 2020. And yeah, as you mentioned, I was over in the UK and Germany. I was doing some shows with Luke Combs over there. And uh, we were getting ready to start the UK run of that. And um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we got canceled on. I had to fly back to the States. And I've pretty much been here uh, ever since. I was actually, I got to go home to Canada in the summertime and uh, with my family and we we're kind of contemplating whether or not we we're going to do that because of the 14 day quarantine. Right. But uh, we ended up doing it and it was good to get back to Canada, even, uh, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Well, you were on a, a kind of a trajectory. It seemed at that point where so many things had done so well in Canada, all of a sudden you're, you're starting to reach out to different parts of the world, different markets as a performer. Is is that momentum you think that, that you can keep once we get back into live performances and stuff? I hope so. Um, you know, my grandparents are English. Um, I lived in the UK. I lived in London for a little bit. So I, uh, I've always had a soft spot in my soft part of my heart, soft spot in my heart <laughs> for uh, for the UK. And uh, you know, I I learned pretty early on that the UK loves country music. They just don't have as much access to it as we do in Canada or the U S uh, there's not a lot of, not a lot of radio and stuff. So you kind of have to go over there and tour uh, and build it from the ground up. And that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And it's been exciting to watch the music make its way around the world. You know, even places like Australia and Sweden, we see a lot of uh, activity there as well. Well, you've had some singles, like we said, that have done so well. The good ones comes out on Friday. It used to be that artists would wait and, and look for album sales and, and get updates every once in a while. Now you can get streaming numbers. How often do you grab the phone and check the streaming numbers? Is it a thing that as an artist you have to keep away from? Um, yeah, I don't like to look. Um, more than once a week, maybe twice a week. I actually get like a, a weekly report from uh, my management uh, that kind of gives us the gives me the scoop on what's going down with the streams and sales and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's just a, the music industry just keeps evolving, right? Uh, back in the day, there was no streaming and people had to purchase an album if they wanted to to listen to music. And, and that's definitely not the case anymore. And I think that's uh, definitely in other genres of music like pop and stuff, you're, you're definitely not seeing albums anymore. It's more about uh, just continually giving people music. Uh, I think our attention spans naturally are a lot shorter these days. Uh, in general, so uh, it's important to give people music more often. Tebe joining us as we talk some music on London Live. How about the way that music is put together? Can you foresee a day? Because right now we still have albums that are created, and if you want to listen to song one through to song 10, 12, 13, however many songs are on the album, you can do it and, and you get that old-fashioned flow. Do you think we'll get to a point where that's not even a thing anymore 
Yes. I think it started last year. <laughs> no, um, but in all seriousness, I mean, uh, putting out an album, a full length 12 or 13 song album is something that you just don't hear of anymore. Um, and that's because of streaming and the way people are able to access instantly uh, music on their phone and stuff. And they just don't have the desire to, to actually go to a store and pick up a record um, or a CD or, or whatever. So uh, yeah, uh, we're very close already. I think the majority of the artists that are making full length albums are superstars per se, you know, uh, those, those, you know, the Drakes of the world, the, the uh, Eric church of the world. Uh, those, those people are making full length albums, but uh, for artists like myself, I mean, seven or eight songs, that's, that's enough. When you talk about kind of the superstars versus anybody who is, is still on their way up or who has had some success so far, is that kind of a format? a good one for someone like you that that has had some great successes and is looking for more um it's hard to say i mean i i, I like i like to, to put together a collection of songs you know i think that's that's fun i enjoy it and you know i'm a little i'm a little old school i guess because you know when i was young there was still albums uh that people would put out um so i, I like putting out records but i also love spotify apple music and all the other um uh, platforms for uh for streaming music i mean i've become accustomed to that and i think the fans have as well so i'm all for everything when you look at your career you can you can put it in so many different places the people that you've worked with outside even country music i mean look at the checklist you can have flow rider yeah got that one direction yeah <laughs> share yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the range is absolutely wild. When you think about what all of those people have meant to, to where you are now, what do you think of? I, I'm just grateful that people continue to record my songs. I mean, I've been in the game a long time. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with some pretty successful artists. I mean, One Direction, when I worked with those guys, I mean, they were the biggest band in the world. Uh, at the time, whether or not you agree with it or not, but they were. Um, and then, you know, someone like Cher is obviously a legend. So uh, for me, it's not, it's not awkward at all or unusual that I would write in different genres of music because I grew up listening to everything. I really do have a very eclectic taste in music. So I just, uh, you know, when I sit down to write a song, if I'm going to write something that's a pop record, I just put on the pop hat. And then if I'm writing a country song, just put on the country hat. Now, could you ever envision a time when you wrote your own pop or your own, you know, insert genre here? Or can you see yourself as a country performer through and through? Oh, no, I'm, I'm a country artist. Uh, that's, that's not going to change. I mean, you have my word that I'm not going to be busting out some Justin Bieber moves in the future. Um, no, country music is, is my heart. It's where I feel at home. Um, but I do like writing other music. You know, I've got this little side project with my buddy Sean Desmond right now um you guys probably know sean he's a he's a pretty big uh pretty successful artist in canada but we formed this duo called radio club um and it was basically uh, sean's been one of my best friends my whole life and i called him up one day i'm like man we write such great songs together let's just get together start a, a band and just make music that we love i mean who knows what touring is going to look like i have no idea but we just want to make music that we love and and put it out on on spotify and, and, and wherever and it's been doing really good we're talking right now with Tebe. The Good Ones comes out, the EP, this Friday. Let's talk about that album. I mean, we've, we've seen some singles come from it, and it's, it's been one that, you know, 
your fans have certainly been waiting for. What are you excited for them to hear once the entire album is released? I'm excited for them to hear songs that, that pardon me, that they haven't heard before. Um, you know, back in February before the pandemic hit, uh, I, I was able to do the Good Ones tour, uh, my first ever headlining tour across Canada. Um, and, you know, we might have snuck in one or two songs from the album just to try them out, songs that they haven't heard before. So I think people are going to recognize some songs from that if they were at the tour. And then also just hearing the, the, the songs that are not the singles, because there's probably three singles we've already had out on this record, um, which means that there's five new songs that people haven't heard. So the headlining tour, to step out as a headliner, just take us back, because everybody wants to go to a concert again. Everybody wants yeah. to experience that again. From your perspective, being able to do that for the first time as a headliner, what was that like for you? It was very exhilarating, yet scary. Um, no, because this was my first ever headline tour. You know, I'd had songs on the radio for a long time, but there's often a disconnect between what people hear on the radio and, and knowing what artist it is. That's just the way it goes. So we had spent so much time over the last four or five years consistently having hit songs and being in front of people's faces. And uh, it was very scary to go out on my own um, because when your name's up on the marquee, I mean, you're the one responsible for selling tickets. If, you, if there's no one there that night, then it's your fault, ultimately. Um, but luckily enough, people showed up. And uh, now hopefully we'll get to do it again once uh, this whole thing is over with. How much hard work is the music industry? Is there a way to even describe it to anybody who doesn't know? No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really hard. Um, you have to really want to do this for a living. Uh, I have people come up to me after shows or at meet and greets who, who say things like, oh, I really want to you know, be a songwriter. Or I want to be like you as an artist. Uh, you know, how, do, how do I get started? And I'm like, well, first of all, how much do you want it? Because it's not, it's not about being a star. I mean, that, uh, it takes so long to become a bona fide star where you're actually like making money in this business. Uh, it takes a really long time. So I always say, how much do you, how much do you want it? Are you willing to pack up your stuff and move to Nashville? Uh, you know, I would say tomorrow, obviously we're in a pandemic. Um, but are you willing to, to sleep on your buddy's couch for two months or three months? It, you know, it, just things like that. How bad do you want it? Well, well, you've asked yourself that question, I'm sure a lot. And it's great to see you answering that question with the success you're having. Look forward to the EP. The Good Ones comes out on Friday. Keep care of yourself. Uh, be safe in Nashville. And uh, next time you're up in Canada, I can't wait for, uh, for people to be there live and enjoying live music again. I don't know if there's anything we've missed more than live sporting events and live music through all of this. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I, you know, I'm a huge Leafs fan and, uh, I usually make a couple games a year and not being able to, to, to do that uh, is going to be really tough. Uh, but at least, at least the sports teams are playing, you know what I mean? Like at least, at least we got a little something because there was a while there where we had nothing. There was no sports on television. I remember, sorry, to, we're going to wrap this up, but I remember watching uh, television in Australia and I, I tweeted out, I'm like, I don't know what sport this is, but there's sports on TV, people. There are sports on television right now. They're doing some weird stuff. But let's go. Did you ever find out what it was? Was it uh, hurling? Was it with the sticks? With the they're not wearing helmets, and it's like, no, it was like it was Aussie rules. Okay, Aussie, Aussie rules football. Football, which is kind of like uh, was rugby. A little like rugby with the yeah. I didn't really rules. understand how they were scoring though. You don't really score touchdowns. 
you got to kick it through a pole. Like, it was just weird. I'm like, you only could score by, by kicking field goals? Like, that's, this is the weirdest game. But that team was playing that team, and that made it okay. Hey, they, they had a ball in their hand, and they were doing something athletic. So, like, sign me up. <laughs> and you know what? We can watch what the sports teams are doing. We can listen to what you're doing. So, you're right. We have that. Thanks for this, and please keep safe. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tebe. Right now in Nashville, from Peterborough, and a guy whose career is taking off in a big way. New EP comes out tomorrow. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.